everyone. Welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Tara Scott, and I review queer women's fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. This week, I'm actually recommending a few things, but they're all based around one queer icon. And I'm Chris Bryan, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books, and I will be recommending a documentary from my hometown. That's pretty exciting. I know. So, What's going on with you, Tara? You have a lot. I'm excited. Okay. I had a mostly, I had a mostly pretty great week. I have been on vacation for a week now. And one of the things I did one day this week was I completely changed my hair color, which I have never done before. I used to do highlights before I had my kids. So like more than a decade ago. But I had my stylist strip all the color out. My hair is a lovely lilac. I love it. I love I it. Too. I do too. It's very fun. I feel like my only misstep is that I did not bring headphones for my phone so I could listen to like an audiobook or podcasts because I thought, well, I'll just play my Nintendo. And then I didn't think about the fact that for most of the process, I would not be able to wear my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> So did a lot of just like listening to what was happening at the salon. Turns out you can meditate anywhere in any way you want sometimes at a salon. That's the less exciting news. The much more exciting news is that my family got a puppy. Unfortunately, we lost our other dog, Zadie, about a month ago. And Neil and I talked to, we had been talking about it and we thought, well, you know what? We'll wait a year before we get another dog because you know you kind of have a lot of freedom when you don't have a dog you can go wherever you want you can do whatever you want you can travel you can whatever and I went to my company conference like we actually had to put her down the Sunday before my company Uh. conference and I was like what now like we have to do this now and then once I was there I realized okay this is actually kind of for the best because I am sad But I'm not worrying about her. And I would have spent the whole time worrying about her if we hadn't done that. Because, like, she was collapsing. Like, that was... And that, for us, was, like, the collapsing multiple times in a day. Like, something's not right. And it was her heart. It wasn't her hips or anything like that. And I may have, in some of my, like, my my dog just died sads, I may have been scrolling through Kijiji. (laughs) And I was like, look at this little puppy. And Neil said... Or I thought we were waiting for a year. And I was like, I know, I'm just sad. It's a puppy, isn't she? Looking. I'm just looking. And then the next day I got an email that said the house is too weird without a dog. Maybe we can look into it. And so oh. when I got back, I we did check all of our animal shelters. I did. I have been listening to you, Chris. I understand ah! you animal shelters. Yes. However, we really like terriers. And there was only one, which was a schnauzer, which is great. We love we love schnauzers. Our last two dogs were schnauzers. But this schnauzer uh, is pretty bitey. And they said, do not put it in a home with kids. And oh. well, we have two of those. Right. <laughs> so we started looking at breeders and we found a wonderful breeder who lives about an hour away who does schnauzer poodle crosses. And so we can put Schnoodle. a photo. We can, it's a schnoodle. We can put a photo in the show notes. Her name is Ember Gertrude because we let each child choose one name. And my 10-year-old <laughs> chose the name Ember. And my 7-year-old chose the name Gertrude. And we just love her. She looks like a little teddy bear. She's so freaking oh, cute. Oh, she is adorable. I, I recommend E.G. E.G. I'm just saying. Because you know me and nicknames mm-hmm. and animals and stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know you're like, no. Okay, I'm all right. Well, I just keep calling her baby because she's just like a little baby. So <laughs> it might end up sticking. I don't know. What about you? I hear that you have some good news too. Um. Well, my latest release forever is finally, the audiobook is finally in the right category. It's finally in LGBTQ. And that's sad because like for three weeks, it was just out there at Hetero World. And well, maybe we'll convert some of them. It's, it's highly possible. <laughs> um, it's also highly doubtful, but it finally, like, like a couple days ago, I got the email that it was in the right place. So, Hooray! Yay, that's always, that is good news. It is always a, a, a challenge to get Amazon to work with you on, you can Anything? put the categories in and they will turn around and put it in what they want. So it is a struggle because, you know, mm-hmm. they have bots doing everything. 
And so a bot might pick up on a certain word and put it in a different category. So, that's but that's annoying. all cleared up. It's right. It's where it needs to be. I'm happy. I got, I got my, the tattoo I wanted forever. I finally got that. And so it's healing. It's so beautiful. I have to wait for round two. Not bad. Not bad. I have to wait for round two to get more colors. Uh, and that'll happen after GCLS because I don't have time. I have edits and stuff oh. like that due. Uh, so I'm going to go back when I get back. <laughs> so what other colors are you having put in? Uh, I'm going to have some blue put in. So then I'll have purple, pink, and blue. <gasps> I know, right? A little, a little bisexual tribute to your podcast it's, partner? Yeah. Is that what's happening? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'll probably actually do a couple more colors too. But I yeah, definitely yeah. want to get the blue in there and more, uh, more purple. Yeah. So, And I'll probably end up putting a little bit of yellow. And who knows? Maybe some white. Maybe I'll just do the whole rainbow. Just do a bunch of little splotches and of rainbow colors in there. I kind of love that. Not? Yeah, I yeah. like it too. Okay, so we talked about the good things. Yes. Um, but I also feel like we can't not talk about the goddamn trash fire that's happening. So we're recording this on Sunday, June twenty sixth. And two days ago, um, they announced what we all knew what was coming, the repeal of Roe versus Wade. I honestly don't even know where to go from here because I'm a Canadian. I'm horrified. It's not in my country, but what happens in your country often leads to things happening in mine because there's the level of organization of these, you know, white supremacist Christo-fascists, it's a, it's a worldwide plan. It's not only one country. And I think if anyone in any country thinks that they're safe from what's happening, that's not, it's not true, but you're actually there. Right. And, you know, this is impacting, this is going to impact people in your life. Right. Um, it's, uh, and, fuck i'm in missouri we're the first state to officially ban abortions like the day it happened they're like okay no more abortions and Mm -hmm. like i i hate everything about the state and i'm here because of my parents Mm -hmm. can't afford to like move them somewhere and you know they have their house they don't want to move they're in their 70s you know my mom's sick i mean I, i have to live here yeah so um it's just it sucks it's just I hate everything about this. And so like it happened while I was at work. I was in the office that Friday and I'm like, I'm not going to cry. I'm like, I'm not going to cry because I don't cry at work. I try not to cry at work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, I, uh, my research, or I'm sorry, I'm in the research department um, and my engineer came in and we were talking about it and he is a Republican. And so we were discussing it and I was telling him what being a Republican really means. And he's like, oh, I do it for financial reasons. I go, bitch, you are not in the top 1%. It's not going to affect you. Like nothing financial affects you. Social things affect you. You have three young adult kids. You know, somebody, one of those three is either going to experience abortion or the need for an abortion or even friends or girlfriends who will have this need. And so I was trying to explain it to him, like, this is a really bad thing. And it's mm-hmm. not just that, you know, it's healthcare, it's women's rights. And he left. And then the, the 60 year old on my team comes in and he's like, well, you know, if they need an abortion, they can just go next door to Kansas. You know, I'm like, sure, Dale, they have access to, you know, they should get in their car and go. A lot of people don't have cars. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't have access to do this. A lot of people don't feel comfortable getting on a, on a bus that takes them over to Kansas. And then how do they, they just don't know what to do. And it's so frustrating that I'm dealing with people who just think that everything that they think that the world thinks like them and they have the same rights and privilege that, that we do. And it's just so frustrating. And so a couple hours later, Chris comes back in my engineer and he's like, you know what? He goes, you're right. He goes, I didn't vote in this last election because I couldn't decide. I couldn't make a decision. And he said, but I'm going to vote for you in this next election. Yeah. So he's like, he goes, he goes, you made me understand things that nobody else has before. 
about this. You know, he, I think because he has a 19 year old daughter and she is Mm -hmm. in a sorority in college, I think he's starting to understand that things happen and it's not, not necessarily to everybody, but anything could happen. The possibilities are endless when you're in college. And I just, I, I I have so many feelings about this and it's just, Mm -hmm. it's so hard. You know, I got out a lot of rage on Twitter that, you know, it made me feel a little bit better to like get onto these people. But at the same time, we have to do more. We have to do more than protest. We have to vote. We have to do more than vote. We have to offer our houses to people. Like, even though I'm in Missouri, you know, that was one of the things that we saw a lot of people on Twitter and TikTok, they were opening up their homes. They're like, hey, if you want to go quote unquote camping, no questions asked, you know, I'm available. Come, you know, if you come out here. Which is great. But like, you should not, you should absolutely not be saying that online. Right. We are living in a surveillance state. There are some states that say that if, you know, somebody travels out of state for an abortion, they'll still make sure to prosecute. And you could be putting that liability on your back. Contact your local abortion fund and tell them that you want to help and work directly with them. Don't put it out there in the ether in writing. Contact your local abortion fund. Right. It made me feel good that people were willing to do this, um, but Mm -hmm. we have to go through the proper channels to do this the right way for that reason, because everybody is tracked now. And also because you don't know if that person's really genuinely going to help you or hurt you. So we just don't know. But it was nice to see that there was at least, you know, that that the people came up, you know, that there's a lot of protests going on right now and which is great, you know, and fuck this. I know. No, you know, know. uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. And we know, we know what's next. And also we need to stop assuming that this was the first shot across the bow because it's not Mm -mm. look at all that anti-trans legislation that's been happening. Right. It's all connected. And Clarence Thomas even said in writing that like same sex marriage is next. Mm -hmm. Contraception is next. Like, here's uh, the thing. Contraception. Yeah, that's going to get all 80. That's going to get 300 million people pissed off. I mean, as it should. Well, but I mean, if you look at it, the, the thing I keep thinking is, you know, the the wealthy white Americans that this benefits the most will still be getting abortions for right. whoever they need, oh, whether sure. it's wives, mistresses, daughters, girlfriends, whatever. This is going to impact low income people. This is going to impact people of color. This is going to impact poor whites. Mm -hmm. This is going to impact. And people talk about abortion as though it's all teenagers and it's fucking not. Right. It's absolutely not. It's actually much more than teenagers. It's women who are done having kids. Mm -hmm. It's women who have enough kids. It's women who can't afford any more kids. Yeah, it's It's married women too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And we need to stop talking about it, too, as though, like, well, there should be exceptions for rape and incest. Fuck it. It's healthcare, Right. There shouldn't be like we shouldn't be carving out circumstances where it's okay. It's health care. And it's health care that impacts everyone because trans men can get pregnant and non-binary people can get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And. How many women end up being abused or murdered by partners who don't want them to have a baby? Right. Right. And then like, if you have the baby, who's going to, who, if you give it up for adoption, who's going to adopt it? Like that mm-hmm. was my question to so many Republicans who are out there cheering. I was like, mm-hmm. how many children are you going to adopt? Like, what's your number? I went through, I like hit a bunch of Republican uh, representatives. I'm like, That's okay, right. great. So how many are you going to adopt? How many are you adopting? How many are you? Right. Because it's all just like bullshit. It's all bullshit. Yeah. So we are not putting up a link to our Kofi in the show notes. We do not want you to send money to us. We want you to donate to your local abortion fund. Or if you want, you can donate to the coalition of all of them. We're going to put the link to the National Network of Abortion Funds in our show notes. From there, you should be able to find your local or you can just donate to all of them and it'll get split. But that's where we want you to put your money this week. The time is now. We can't not organize. We all need to step up and do our part. Agreed.
Okay. So instead of listener questions this week, we decided to do something a little bit different. Recently, Chris and I noticed that Jay's been talking about a problem in the lesbian community, and we wanted to talk about it too. And I checked in with Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and it turns out it's also a problem in the hetero romance world. So who better to talk about it with than Jay and Sarah? Welcome to you both. Hello. Hi. So Jay, you recently shared a blog post and you talked about it on your socials and in your Facebook reader group. Do you mind just giving a quick overview of what you were talking about for listeners who might not be familiar? And then we'll put the link in the show notes if anyone Mm -hmm. wants to read further. Yeah, of course. Well, first of there's my own situation. As an author, I'm dealing with the Stexon situation this year alone, um, where readers behaving in very inappropriate ways that are heading into stalkerish territory. And the second time, not overall in my career, but this year, which means within six months. And plus, since it's Pride Month, I'm interacting more with other um, authors in panels and on online events. And so um, last weekend, I was part of an event where one author nearly couldn't participate because she's in the same situation or even worse uh, with a stalker of her own. And every other author in that panel nodded and shared her own experiences. And it didn't always cross into outright stalking, but every author I know had at least one situation and many of us have several situations where readers behaved in ways that made authors really, really uncomfortable. Um, and that take up a lot of energy and a lot of authors are no longer participating in events or have minimized their interaction with readers because of it. So I think it's it's a really important topic to talk about and a lot of authors never talk about it and certainly not with readers. And so I felt like I think it's time that we make it more public and don't make authors feel like everyone assumes it's just them that that is going through it. What would you say are some of the typically uh, bad behaviors that we're seeing coming out? I, I can give you some example from my own experiences. I had people find out my home address online, like like a detective investigating me, um, sending love letters without really knowing me or having met me just once, sending gifts to me or via my publisher, romantic gifts, sending explicit emails describing what reading one of my love scenes does to them, nude pictures. I had one reader who flew from the US to Germany and hung out in my neighborhood in the hopes of running into me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she assumed it's a grand romantic gesture because that's what people in romance novels do. Mm-hmm. Readers pressuring me to date them uh, because they feel like they would be perfect match for me. Yeah, I've met with readers giving them a tour of Freiburg because I have a book that is set here and I, I gave them the paper love tour and um, then they asked for a second date. And I was like, what? <laughs> Not a date. It's, um, well, it's a work meeting for me and I... I was nice, of course, because that's what authors are, especially in such a small genre. And then they couldn't understand why clearly we are meant for each other and it's destined for romance. And um, they couldn't understand that it's a completely asymmetric relationship and and it's Mm one-sided. I was talking to an author recently who was saying they get a lot of that. You know this author as well. But they also get death threats and emails telling them to stop writing and that they clearly slept their way to all their positive reviews, which I would like to say as someone who has positively reviewed this author, I got no sex for that review. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. Hold on. Yeah. I've been reviewing for 17 years. Mm -hmm. There was sex was a thing. That was was a no thank you. But wow, I had no idea. Like I used to joke, why didn't I start a blog reviewing yachts or (laughs) something really big and expensive? But I was not aware Mm -mm. that there was a sex component first. No, thank you again. But wow. I know. Mm -hmm. Right. It's super bold. So I think actually, Sarah, this is a great time to turn to you. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about parasocial relationships and how it's fueling the problem, both what Jay is talking about and how it also shows up in hetero romances, because I, sorry, for for hetero romance authors, because I think it's 
my my first instinct was to assume it's probably not really a problem outside of lesfic and then i thought check my biases talk to my talk to talk to my person who knows more than i do about this arena and you said well actually huh first of all jay i'm so sorry that happened to you that is such an awful cross of boundaries and i'm so so sorry um yes this does happen in hetero author land i obviously i do not speak for every single hetero author and all of the authors in all the land but i can remember years ago when i was at a romantic times conference in pittsburgh an author that I kind of knew casually, we were standing outside. I was from Pittsburgh. The hotel was really bad. It was under construction. And I was giving people directions to the hospital because they were all having asthma attacks. So I'm chilling outside with this author. It was already a terrible situation. And there was this couple that were obsessively speaking to her. And I could sort of see she was chill. Her back was to the wall, but they were not disengaging. And later she told me that they were following her around the conference because he, the, the, the male, the husband, needed to tell the author how incredibly okay he needed to tell her in great detail how they got off to her books Hmm. and needed to tell her at length what they were doing when they read her books and i've seen this experience with erotic romance authors and i think that there are several different kinds of parasocial relationships there's the kind where okay so romance traffics in empathy and if you're in a position where you don't receive a lot of empathy. Somebody suddenly making you feel seen and recognized and understood and being told through this book, you are okay. You are good the way you are. And also giving them emotional and sexual potential fulfillment through books. I mean, that's an incredibly powerful thing to do. And I think that a lot of readers take that experience and directly attach it to the person who wrote the book, as in this person gave me that experience. Well, they kind of did, but they don't know who you are. That's the, they don't they don't know you, but you feel as if you know them because of this experience. And this is not an excuse. I think that's sort of the fandom environment in which this happens. But yes, it does definitely happen in heterosexual uh, romance authorship. I've seen people assume that they were best friends with an author because they saw them, you know, twice at a conference. I know that authors have incredibly personal fan mail that they receive, and and sometimes it's. Sometimes it's, you are the only person I can tell this experience to. And sometimes it's, I need to tell you this experience because you are responsible for it. And that, like I said, that's a big boundary. And I think in a lot of ways, fandom culture, having grown and evolved and changed over the past, let's say, 10, 20 years, as more and more people are connected in more and more ways, I think there is a loss of that sense of, wait a minute, is this me or is this them? It has to be them because it can't be me. It has to be them. I am now best friends with this person. This person has given me an orgasm. I am er- I am erotically uh, experiencing who I am because of this person. So I need to connect with them. Okay, spoiler. No, you don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Chris, I mean, you and I have talked a little bit about this. Like, how have you experienced people who have parasocial relationships with you? You know, I usually get, I have a PO box, which is great. Plus, I use a pen name. Oh, you're so smart. I didn't do that. I regret it now. <laughs> same, so same, I same. have a P.O. box. You know, a few of my close friends know my real last name for that reason. You know, I, it's, it's not just that. It's just, you know, where I live. I live in the Midwest. We're a red state. You know, I have to protect myself just as a, a queer person. So it was smart that I got a P.O. box because, you know, I do get randomly gifts. People send me gifts randomly to my P.O. box. And um, I was like, oh, thank you so much. You know, so far, nothing has been inappropriate. I think uh, I'm very forthcoming with information as far as like, if somebody reaches out and I'm like, oh, I think it's great. Let's talk about my books. But no, oh, I have a girlfriend. I'm in a relationship. You know, I'll say whatever. And I also have a lot of blocks on all of my social media. Like, I I, I don't know if I have it set to PG-13, but Uh, everything goes into the trash spam folder. I rarely get something that comes through like, Hey, how you doing? I never see those, you know, they're, they're automatically spammed. And Jay and I were talking the other day about uh, how people do think that they are your best friend Uh, and messenger. It scares the shit out of me to open up messenger. If I get a message, because I don't know if it's like Jay reaching out or if it's like somebody who read my book, my erotica, and they want to, they think that, yeah, we're, we're, we're supposed to be together or, or I wrote really great sex. And is that the kind of sex I have? 
And they're like social media has made it so easy to reach anybody. And there's also the disconnect of, of being socially responsible, being mature and not saying inappropriate things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gone. It's gone. Like they, it's, it's quick and it's quick and, e- and easy and dirty. And it's like, Hey, do blah, blah, blah. No, I don't. Okay. Bye. Or no, I don't think you're, I, I don't think that's right. I think we're perfect for each other. So it's, it's, it's sticky. It is a sticky situation because you don't want to, you don't want to upset readers, but you want to let them know when they push the boundary and, and they cross the line, you want to let them know. And, uh, you know, and I also have a Patreon account. And so I get a lot of people there too. So it's, you know, I set myself up for a lot of things and I have to have a lot of roadblocks in front of me just to be able to, to still be on social media and still do the things that I do on Patreon. Mm-hmm. So you remember back in the day when people would just get your email and subscribe you to their newsletter? That's really kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah. um, somebody, I, I cannot find it and I will find it and send it to you, Tara, but somebody wrote an auto response that was, that basically said, you have mistaken access for permission. You have mistaken Ooh. access to my email address for permission to subscribe me to things. Well, in the, in a similar way, social media has created a situation where people mistake access for permission. Well, you wouldn't be on social media if you didn't want to be told about my sexual fantasies about you. I also want to say as someone who doesn't have a pen name and hasn't, oops, and is just wandering around being female on the internet with opinions, I subscribe to a service in the US called Delete Me. There are a lot of public access, basically like old white pages, like, you know, the phone book where you used to be able to like look up numbers and call them when you made phone calls. Mm-hmm, Delete mm-hmm. Me will take all of those public access white pages directories and remove you from them and will update you quarterly as to where they found you and where they've taken you off. So I, I subscribe to that because I realized, hold up, I'm out here on the Internet with opinions under my real name. Oops. That is a great service to know about. So, Jay. In your previous life, I mean, you did some, obviously you did some writing at the same time, but you were a psychologist. Do you want to talk about parasocial relationships from that perspective? Mm-hmm. There's two groups of, of people who engage in this inappropriate behavior. There's the very clear cut cases where everyone, when you tell them about it, they are nodding oh and say, okay, clearly this is inappropriate. But these are the easy ones to deal with, you know, you can just block them, delete everything. And for me, they don't take up a lot of my mental energy. But at least in sapphic fiction, the greater number of these incidences fall more into the area where I think it's a very fine line between being persistent and being inappropriate. And that, I think, are the people who that problem is clearly caused because the the relationship between readers and authors is always asymmetric in a lot of ways. First of all, especially if you write in an emotional genre like romance, no one can imagine that you are happy being single and they feel a connection to you and they automatically assume if it's not mutual, you are at least open to, to it. And also they don't get that this is if you're nice and you engage very nicely and you share little bits of pieces and you listen to them, this is part of your job. And it's a part of the job that is great and that I enjoy. And I know many other authors enjoy it too, but it's still part of the job. Like in my previous life as a psychologist, people didn't assume I was interested in them romantically just because I listened. Um, but because it's it's this very fine line between in this small community, we all feel like friends and we have this, we have our um, sexual orientation and, and discrimination by the outside world in common. It, it bonds us. And for readers, this bond is much bigger than for authors on the other hand, because they read all the books, they identify with the characters. And anytime an author is nice to them, it's a confirmation of that bond. And it escalates very fast from talking about the book to talking about things that normally you would only talk about with a very close personal friend. That's why I always say, I feel like i never gave up psychology. It, it feels like everyday people tell me things where I'm like, wow, I don't think I would tell it to basically a stranger on the internet. And if you listen to them, and a lot of them don't have a lot of people who listen to them, it quickly heads into territory where they feel like, okay, clearly we are destined for a great romance. 
And on the other hand, it, the author-reader relationship is also asymmetric in readers don't feel comfortable saying no. They hint at no, you know, like, first of all, basically, readers are paying authors paycheck. Um, and if you make a living from your writing or it's an, a big part of your life, you don't want to annoy readers to a point where they might leave you negative reviews, they might post about you, they might tell all of their friends that you are stuck up and arrogant and completely misconstrue the situation because they think they did nothing wrong. All they wanted was to date you and that's not wrong in their mind. Um, but they wouldn't go to any other to psychologist, to their hairdresser, to their doctor, and in that professional context, expect romance. They just do that because reading is personal to them. So they feel this is clearly a personal connection. That's a fabulous point. All right, round robin, I'd like to go through all three of you. Final thoughts. Why do you think this is so prevalent? Uh, any of this, like whatever your final thoughts, I'm just giving you like things to spark things. Why do you think this is so prevalent? Why is it especially prevalent in Lesvik? What makes it unique to that space? What's your one call to action to people? Whatever you want to say. And I'm going to start with Chris. Ah, I knew you were going to start with me. Because <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Jay said it best. I mean, you just, <sighs> yeah, you're going to have to come back to me. <laughs> You're just going to have to come back to me. I was overwhelmed with so many words right then. All right. I'll come back. I to call you. that okay. Jiffy Pop brain. That, exactly. That's remember exactly Jiffy Pop happening. and then the popcorn yeah. would, would just blow up inside this big foil <laughs> dome. My brain is like that sometimes. Yes. Now. All right. Well, then, Sarah, I'm going to turn to you. What are your final thoughts on the matter? I think romance generally traffics in empathy. And I think many, many people and the more marginalized identities you add to an individual the more they are going to feel as if their desire, their identity, their arousal, their way of seeing the world is incorrect and suppressed. And when you have a book and the privilege and privacy of your own imagination that makes you feel, no, 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 all of those things are just fine and you are awesome the way you are, that's a wonderful, wonderful, empowering thing. I think that Jay is right that there is a sizable amount of people who feel and you can see this in many different arenas, that other people are responsible for their emotions, that the emotional caretaking for that individual has to be done by something else, someone else, and that they are not responsible for the actions based on their emotions because they were just having feelings and feelings, as you know, are like facts now. Yay! <laughs> not, not yay. So I, I think that what has to happen, and I don't know how to prescribe or make this happen, is that People need to take responsibility for their own emotions and the actions that they base on their own emotions. Jay, I very much relate to people just telling you their business because you have good listening face. My husband says I have bartender pheromone. People just tell me their business <laughs> because I am a good listener. And that makes it hard. In terms of call to action, just check your own emotions. Are you, are you making someone else responsible for how you feel? That's your job. That's, that's entirely your job. And for this genre and all of its wonderful forms to continue, the safety and boundaries of the people who create it have to be respected. Love it. All right, Chris, do you want me to come back to you or should we just give Jay the final word? Uh, yeah, I can go ahead and, and bounce off of that. I feel like, you know, with the, uh, the availability of social media and then plus the pandemic and people oh, having to stay at home and what do we, what do we have to do? You know, they get tired of television, they get tired of movies. So a lot of people read and I feel like I love seeing when somebody's like, oh, I finally picked up a Chris Bryant book and I read her whole backlist. You know, I was like, yay, they love my stuff. And I wanted to be that. I will talk to you all day long about my books, but I can't be your girlfriend. I can't. That is not my that is not my job. It's not my role. And I don't want to be penalized. I don't want somebody to say like, oh, this is this is a horrible book because she's a horrible person. You know, she didn't take time to talk to me. And and I know that people that that has happened to writers. I know a very big lesbic writer where that has happened to like she literally did not respond. And because she didn't respond, she was a bitch. She was, you know, it's just ugh, I just I, it is a hard position to be in nowadays. Like I said, with everything so readily available and the pandemic keeping everybody home and, you know, people tend to get a little bit, you know, they I think they just push the boundaries uh, of everything and see how far they can get. 
Well, I mean, I it's know. not as if we've had global representation of getting away with really, really right. things without consequence. That has <laughs> right. There is no like consequence. That. That's exactly no. right. There's no consequence for this. For, for people to reach out, there's no consequence. And that is a problem. Okay. All right. Jay, final word is with you. I want to mention most readers really are very respectful and supportive. But it's yes. also more than just a few bad apples. It's People assume, especially in sapphic fiction, oh, most of us are women. Women don't do that kind of thing. Oh, yes. Yeah, this they do. More. <laughs> this is really something I want to emphasize. It's not just a handful of people who are making everyone uncomfortable. It's very prevalent. Even so, the majority is great. I would say be a little more self-aware. Check your own behavior. Just because you assume it's mutual doesn't make it mutual. I had a reader who made me super uncomfortable last year because she would not stop pressuring me for a date, like my post. So she recognizes, in general, she is very much condemning inappropriate behavior and sexual harassment, but she did not even think that what she did is exactly the same. Um, and so I, I really need people to think about it and not put authors into a situation where they really have to struggle to make a decision, will I keep interacting with my readers or do I have to minimize it to protect my own mental health? Thank you so much, Jay and Sarah. You're very, very welcome. Thank you yeah. for tackling this topic. It's like Jay said, this is something that I think people think only happens to them. And it's it's not. There's There's a lot of overlap in the way we have access to one another and boundaries are hard and important. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, what have you been reading or watching? Are you even reading or are you in a writing period? So you're just watching all the things. Well, or neither. Are you just watching all the things? Well, Pride Month gave us a lot of queer content, like a lot. It did. It was great. So I actually am watching. I'm almost done with Queer as Folk down in uh, New Orleans. New series on Peacock. It's not, in my opinion, it's not as good as the series uh, in Pittsburgh with Brian and Justin and Michael and Ted and Emmett. I mean, I just, I kind of grew up with those guys. But this one, it talks a lot about what's going on in the world today. A mm. lot of social issues. Uh, there's a lot of trigger warnings for, for this one. But it was still good. So I, I did watch it. And I think I might be on the last episode. So I'm watching mm. that. I'm also watching Alone because you know me and survival shows. So is there a new season that's just started? Yeah, it started. Uh, we talked about it last time. They only had like one episode available because they do mm. that, that crappy one week thing like they used to do back pre-pandemic you know, weekly <laughs> thing. We're so spoiled now. Uh, so every Thursday I had to wait. I have it recorded. So I've been watching Alone and also the Umbrella Academy. I started that. Oh, yeah. So here's the cool thing about that. So Elliot Page, I loved how they handled the how the character transitions. And it's great. It's like within the second, I think it's in the second episode. So mm -hmm. it was just great. I loved it. And I'm I'm only like maybe four episodes into it. And also, yes, I have also read. I kind of took June off a little bit. I mean, I've mm -hmm. been editing. And I've been doing page proofs and doing like audio voice notes and things like that. So I'm doing everything but really writing. I kind of took it off. I mean, I just needed a break because it was just too much. Yeah. And so I got to read a book and I read The Last Lavender Sister by Melissa Brighton. So I got to read a book, like read, read. It was good. So, I was, so that was a good one? Yeah, it was a good one. It was a good one. Yeah, I feel like my reading brain... It's still kind of it's like it broke like I read Truth and Measure and then my reading brain just like broke for the rest of the spring. And I've been reading like little bits here and there of different books. I'm reading one that's pretty good right now, but I'm not going to talk about it yet. Because Ooh, if it, it might be a recommendation. Exactly. If it stays good, <laughs> it might be a recommendation. So nice. hang on to your butts, people. I will be back. So then you're not really reading. What are you watching? So I'm still, of course, watching Drag Race All-Stars Season 7. <laughs> I am just so thrilled with it. I think it's my favorite season. Ah. I mean, it helps. Be so, like I said before, it's an all-winners season. 
So these are all queens that have appeared before on Drag Race, sometimes on multiple seasons. And because of that, and because they've been famous and they've been touring, whatever, they have money and the looks are good and they're not sending anyone home. So you get to just spend like all this time with them. And it's just so it's like my weekly warm hug. And I'm still like, I for me, it's Jinx Monsoon. I hope she wins. I love her (laughs) so much. She's so fucking talented. And that's all I want. And I'm excited because pretty soon they're starting. Is it Canada's Drag Race is starting soon? Oh, geez. There's so Brooklyn Heights was on season, I think, 11 of Drag Race. And she's been on a few like she also is the host of Canada's Drag Race. But I can't remember if it's Canada's Drag Race or they also announced the new season of Canada's Drag Race is starting soon, which I'm excited about. And then later this year, she's hosting a season of Canada versus the world. Oh, right. So bringing contestants from all over the world and she'll be hosting it. And then do you remember earlier this year, I was talking about a show that she hosts called One Queen, Five Queers. I'm going to say yes. It was like a panel show where it's just a bunch of queer people and they. They talk about all sorts of different issues, but really they talk about sex in every episode. (laughs) It was a show that was on Crave in Canada, and I think they've just released it on MTV Canada and maybe other MTV. I don't know. So if you haven't watched it, highly, highly recommend that. And they're filming the next season, so I can't wait to see that. We also watch. So, as I said, I've been on vacation. And so one day this week, uh, we went out to the movie theater and we picked up some popcorn and our favorite drinks. And we drove home and watched on Disney Plus (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I fucking loved this movie. Uh, I watched it last night. Wasn't it fun? It was very fun. Oh, my goodness. I So I didn't know until about halfway through that it's a Sam Raimi movie. And as soon as Neil told me that, I was like, oh, everything makes sense. And I think the thing I especially love is that it feels like Sam Raimi going back to his roots with like the Evil Dead and Army of Darkness and that because it's a horror comedy. Right. And it just works. I thought the first Doctor Strange movie was very boring, but this one held my interest all the way through. I thought it was fabulous. I had a really fun time. Yeah, he's uh, he's my least favorite, maybe, out of all of oh, them. Oh, yeah. And so then I wasn't really like, when this came out at the theaters, I was like, meh, 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 meh. and mm-hmm. somebody at work saw it, and they're just like, meh, 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 meh. so it was good to watch at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I especially loved the, the little snippet that happens after all the credits that everybody forgets oh, about. Oh, yes. But we're, well, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody, but I loved it. Where there's perhaps a real hot person in it. Somebody that I, that is in my top five. And I, I have discussed her before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah! okay, I was all excited. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was too. And then the last thing I've been watching. So on Netflix, they have brought back Iron Chef. Did you ever watch Iron Chef? You know, I watched everything but Iron Chef. And maybe I have seen oh it. I don't know. Cause I, I watched like all the cooking shows like, for when I was writing Taste, I was watching them all. So so this is a reboot called Iron Chef Quest for an Iron Legend. I have always loved Iron Chef. Every version of it that I've ever seen. I could, If you gave me 95 seasons of Iron Chef, I would watch all 95 <laughs> of them. So easily. Because like the camp is kind of fun. But also I just love seeing, okay, here's the secret ingredient. Who's going to be better okay. at it? Yeah, I have seen this. Yes. Oh, I love it so much. And the reboot works really well for me. And actually, Kristen Kish, one of the uh, two commentators, because it's her and Alton Brown that do the commentating throughout the episodes. She is queer. And as nice. soon as like as soon as I saw her, I was like, well, that is obviously well, a course. queer person. And then I looked it up and I was like, she married some nice lady. And I was like, I knew it. So, Chris, yes. what is your official recommendation for this week? Okay, so my official recommendation this episode is Near and Dear to My Heart. It's a documentary from my hometown called Transhood. And I picked it because not only is it from here, but I helped raise a trans kid. And I'm a sapphic that stands with the T. So uh, here's the blurb of this documentary. I think it was in, uh, it's on HBO now, HBO Max maybe. And it was in 2020. Mm. And it got a lot of buzz. 
and I didn't even hear about it. So what the hell? Okay, so filmed over five years in Kansas City, Transhood chronicles the lives of four young people aged 4, 7, 12, and 15 at the start of filming and their families as they navigate growing up transgender in America's heartland. By sharing personal realities of how gender expression is reshaping their lives, the film explores how these families struggle and stumble through parenting and how the kids are challenged and transformed as they experience the complexity of their identities. It's really interesting because one of the points that was made super clear in this documentary is that children before puberty do not have a medical intervention. It's just a social transition. You know, it's Mm -hmm. clothing, it's pronouns only. It's not any sort of chemicals. So out of the four kids, two had started taking blockers and two had not. We all know that people can just be assholes. Like a lot of their families disown them being like the parents who are helping their children transition. A lot of their families disown them or said that it's child abuse. And it was just awful to hear, you know, and I know that this happens, Mm -hmm. but it's just, I I just don't understand. And so like the four kids, there's Jay and Jay started, I think it's like 12. Jay started blockers like on the first episode Mm -hmm. and his mom, it, I want to say single mother environment Mm-hmm. But at the end, she ends up finding a, uh, she ends up dating a woman. And I can't remember if they got married or not. But, you know, the whole situation about, you know, having a teen in the house and just what it's like as a teen. And for me, it was, it was, I enjoyed seeing a teen be a teen, given the fact that Jay has had so much crap. Like, even a teacher, one of Jay's teachers said, actually had him sit away from everybody. Because they thought he was contagious. What the fuck is wrong with people? How? How in 2020, even back then, 20, whatever, 2016, 2017, like how? How how are that? How are educational people, educators, how are they this dumb? Oh, for sure. I mean, I I don't get that. Biases, like the biases are so horrific. And that's part of why, like all of this legislation that's going through is amplifying Like they're trying to make a problem out of things that don't exist. Like, was it, was it don't say gay where it's talking about don't like, you can't put it in like kindergarten. Like they're teaching our kindergartners about gayness. And it's like, that didn't fucking happen. Right. That wasn't happening. That wasn't, that wasn't a thing. We're like, we, oh, we can't like all these, um, all these bills so that girls, trans girls can't participate in sports. And then when you look at the data, was it, was like was it Texas than- or was it another state where it was like, we're talking about two athletes <laughs> yeah, in the whole state. state. Yeah. So it's like making it sound like, oh, they're, they're, they're taking over. Taking Which over is- sports. Right. So again, where that's where I just want to like people like JK rolling the fuck off into the sun because they're amplifying what they think. And, and you know, she's been told this is a huge problem. It's like, it actually hasn't. Right. It actually hasn't. And for me, like, when you look at who's funding the turf movement in the UK, it's American evangelicals. They should be uh, suspicious. They should be I, highly suspicious because those evangelicals are not okay with LGB people either. Yeah, They're just not. True. So, um, yeah, that oh, teacher can fuck off. Right. And uh, the good news is, like, Jay is 18 now, I believe, and was on Ellen. Like did a, yeah, a, just a, an Ellen tube. So it was like a Zoom thing. And I, Jay's mom, I really liked what she said and how she approached the whole transition. She said, I'd rather have a healthy son than the suicidal daughter. That's right. So, and, and even Jay said, you know, one of the things that he said was, you know, sometimes you think, what is my reason to be here? You know, People are not accepting me of who I am. So I have these mm-hmm. thoughts and sometimes I want to take my life. You know, it's a very sensitive thing because children who either can't or don't know how or who they are, you know, they commit suicide. And then the ones, there are some that do transition and just the hatred that comes from it. It's just, it's so hard to take. And mm-hmm. so then there's the, the thoughts of suicide there too. So, you know, kids need, kids need our help. You know, they really yes. need help through this um, as a society, as a as a community. I think that's so important. 
you know, and then so this all happened, like this documentary started, I want to say like in 2015. So, uh, and then in 2016, when the election happened, then of course, you know, the bathroom bill and it's a whole bunch of bullshit. Um, yeah. So, uh, we have one, one, one kid, Avery was actually kind of famous, kind of got famous. Hmm. I was on national geographic, did a, um, did a thing about nine year old trans children. And so they asked Avery to be, uh, to take, to be part of this collection and, she ended up being on the cover and that caused a lot of issues. And the mom, Avery's mom had signed up to do a book on, on transitioning for children at a young age. And so Mm -hmm. Avery was kind of like, Avery got to go through each page and pick like what, what she liked, what she didn't like. And, you know, there's a lot of issues with, with the mom pushing. A lot of people were saying that the mom was pushing this for money for whatever reason, you know, and, and Avery's like, I just want people to know that, you know, what, go, what I'm going through and that I can help people. So mm-hmm. all these kids just wanted to be their true selves and to help other people be their true selves. So the good news is the more people who allow for their children to become who they want to be or who they are, it only yeah. helps future kids coming out because they will be around and they will see that this is a true thing. This can happen. This could even happen to you. So I really liked it because, and I recommend it because it's very educational. You will learn so much about the process and also just the emotional toll it can take on people and also how happy they can become. Mm-hmm. So, that sounds wonderful, Chris. It was, it was a really good documentary. I, I watched it at the very beginning of the month because I found it. I was like, oh, how do I not know about this? Yeah. And so I watched it and then I just kind of like rewatched a little bit of it just to ha- as a refresher for our podcast. And it's just, I still, I love it. I, I do. I highly recommend it. So good. Yeah. So that was my official recommendation. What is your official recommendation? Okay. So I'm doing something a little different this week because I'm recommending a few pieces of media and they're all related to Tig Notaro. Do you know who she is? Okay. True story. Very last thing I did in, in, the world before we shut down for the uh, pandemic was I went to her concert. Yes. Yes. So the so answer jealous. is yes, I do know. <laughs> so I had a blast. That sounds so good. I'm a little jealous. So for people who don't know, Tig Nataro is a comedian and she had been doing pretty well for a while, but she really um, like exploded into everybody's consciousness and everybody knew who she was about a decade ago because she did a show at Largo in LA. It was four days after she was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. In that show, she talks about her cancer diagnosis, how she recently lost her mother, how she'd had C. diff not too long before that, and how her girlfriend had broken up with her in the midst of all of it. And you can actually still listen to it. It was released in 2012 as an album called Live. And it's just it's fucking brilliant. And it's one of those comedy albums that is like a historic moment, kind of like Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, how it got everybody uh, talking. So you can listen to Live. It's on Spotify. It's in a bunch of other places. I'm pretty sure it was either nominated for or won a Grammy. I don't know. But yesterday I watched a documentary from 2015. It's called Tig. And it sort of covers all those things that the show covers And it also covers the show itself. And then it continues to follow Tig and what happens after the show. And so we see her kind of that recovery from cancer, how she went on to get into a relationship with the woman that she is married to now and the beginning of her journey towards motherhood, because she, you know, right before the cancer diagnosis, she was in the middle of trying to figure out how to, you know, she had a donor and she like, she really wanted to be a mother and start a family. And I thought, all right, well, this documentary is all right. But it made me think of the other ways that I've heard Tig's story. And so I thought, why not recommend all of them? So for me, the documentary is not really my personal favorite way to take in her story. But if you're visual, it's a good starting point. But I would actually say, start with the comedy album first. Start with Liv. And then her autobiography is called I'm Just a Person. And it's excellent. I listened to it a couple of years ago. It was released in 2016. Again, it goes into all the same stuff in the documentary, but in a lot more detail because it's book length. 
So definitely get that if you're interested in like, well, what is her story? How does somebody go through that much adversity in a short amount of time? Because I don't know how much you know about C C diff. I only know about Mm -hmm. C diff because Tignataro had it, but she literally almost died. Like it's an, it's an infection. Is it intestines? Yeah. My mom had it. Yeah. It sounds like a serious fucker. It's awful. And so she almost died from that. And then her mother, who was like her best friend dies and her girlfriend leaves her while she's like, she's still recovering when her mom dies. And her girlfriend leaves. And then to find out that she has cancer. Like, it is just wild. And then you look at where she's at now. Like, she's on some Star Trek TV show. Like, she's been in movies. (laughs) She's like, she's doing amazing. So, yeah, I really love that book. But then my favorite of all of the things I've seen of Tig's second, maybe only to that comedy album, is she had a TV show called One Mississippi. Have you seen it? I haven't. Oh. It's wonderful. So it's technically fiction, but I think it I started largely, it. Yeah, I think I started it. Yeah. So it's largely based on the events of her life. Yeah. The first season came out in 2015. I think the second season came out in 2017. The second season definitely came out in 2017. So the fictional Tig ends up staying with her stepdad in Mississippi after her mom dies. She's recovering from C. diff and her girlfriend has broken up with her. So you see the same sort of beats of the story of her life. Um, but along the way, she happens to fall for a woman at uh, at a radio station who's I think she played like her show producer or something like that because she has a radio show. So it's the person she's working with at that particular station. And it's played by her wife, Stephanie Aline. Her fictional brother and her stepdad are really big figures in it. And honestly, for me, the one who really the real standout for me is is the is the stepfather who's played by uh, John Rothman. He's so quirky. He is not easy to live with. But what I really love is that occasionally, even though he's this like incredibly inflexible man, you can see he has this deep well of love for Tig. Even if he doesn't fully understand her, he so cares for her. And he had so loved her mother. And... For me, it was an absolute delight that in the second season, he gets a girlfriend and she is exactly like him. Like, it is hilarious. (laughs) Um, So a couple content warnings for this show. The first one is that it does talk about Tig's childhood sexual abuse. It's never shown on scene and it's really approached as a trauma from the past. And something that I thought was really, really fucking interesting and bold in the second season is, do you remember how Louis C.K., kind of fell from grace during the whole me too thing because it came out that he had been masturbating in front of female comedians and louis ck was a personal friend of tiggs he actually was the one he released live on his website as an album that people could buy and i believe he was a producer on this tv show and she did an episode about that where it's not him it's not called out as him but like this guy who is in a position of power over her love interest masturbates in front of her. And just the fact that she like did this and put it there on screen as this, like it felt very much like a big, I don't fucking care if you are my friend. That was not okay. Right. And we're calling out that this is not okay. So those are just, I mean, we don't see the person's penis, but we know what's happening. And so that's just kind of a warning if that's likely to be an issue for anyone. Um, But I love that she called it out. And so for me, highly recommend this show. I just think Tina Taro is so fucking cool. And I think her story is so interesting and her resilience. And I love seeing that, like, she went from not knowing if she was going to live to, you know, she's married to the love of her life and they have twin boys now and she's on Star Trek and just seems like pretty happy. And I'm so happy for her. So, yes, I recommend all of these things. Especially one Mississippi because it's quirky and has a ton of heart. And yes, it's uncomfortable, but it's still worth it. So that is it. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. so You'll get notified whenever we release an episode. Or if you have a friend that you think would like it, please tell them about it. Please do not send us anything from Kofi. Like I said before, please make sure you support your local abortion funds. That's the call for today. It's important. The time is now. We have the link in the show notes for you to do that.
Yes. And uh, if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, just search for Queerly Recommended on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email us at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.